Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean. And this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss, it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week, Kate and I are going to be discussing a paper about veterinary physiotherapy, and it's especially geared for back pain in the horse. And the name of the paper is Veterinary Physiotherapy for Back Pain in the Horse. And the author is Gillian Tabor. And this was actually written in 2022. So this year, it's a review. And uh, it's got all the current information regarding the therapies and the role of the physiotherapist um, as it applies to back pain in the horses. So this is all under the guidance of a supporting uh, veterinarian or veterinary surgeon. So veterinary, veterinary physiotherapists aim to restore painless optimal function using their scope of physiotherapy treatments which are individualized to the patient, including manual therapy, electrophysical, and specific therapeutic exercises, as well as the prescription of a rehabilitation plan. Now, Kate and I thought this paper was so good, we're going to break it up into two episodes. So this week, we're going to talk about the role of the veterinary veterinary physiotherapist. Kate, why can't I say that? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's the whys in both words. (laughs) I think it is. And then next week, we will go into the modalities of treatment, which is the manual therapy, the electrophysical therapy, and then the therapeutic exercises. So I think this will be a good two-part series. Back pain is very prevalent in the ridden horse. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think at times it's hard to recognize. And in this paper, they do say that in all ridden horses, we need to account for the presence of potential back pain. Um, before it's problematic. So, you know, all ridden horses have that potential for back pain. And before we started recording, Nancy just pointed out, which I think is important, is knowing that it is a licensed physiotherapist you're using. And that's something that's possible in the UK and in Ireland. I'm not sure about other European countries, um, but something that you've said, Nancy, isn't in the States. Anyone can call themselves, I guess, a physiotherapist. Um, the author of this paper, Gillian, is a chartered physiotherapist. She's accredited with, um, I call it ACPAT, but I, I don't know if that's correct. It could be pronounced A-C-P-A-T. And she it works for the Equine Performance Research Center in Hartbury University. So it's really important just to make sure that you you know, you know who you're using before you try and have an assessment of your horse. Because anytime there's going to be a manipulation of your horse, of their back, or if it's their legs, if they're lame, and even we've said this when it comes to farriers, 
you just take such a risk with using someone who is not um, skilled and accredited in that area. And the accreditation it, it backs up that they've reached a certain level of skill and expertise. So that would definitely be the first thing. And I thought it was interesting that they said that, you know, every ridden horse, we need to consider they have that potential for back pain. And, you know, I think um, a lot of our massage and myofacial release uh, professionals do get certified, but there's so many different schools of certification that I really wish in this country we had where they could be under one umbrella from like the American Veterinarian Association or something like that. But unfortunately, we don't have that. Um, we do have certain schools that are accredited and do get indoors, but it's just like our farrier schools and our farrier professionals. It's just not concise and the licensure just isn't there. So um, I would say I love it that in the UK, a chartered physiotherapist is also trained to assess the rider and their ability to function um, optimally because they're pro potentially providing the intervention to make sure they're not harming their horse further. So I think that's a real part of this that maybe um, in the United States, we don't have people assessing both. I think one of the reasons for that is that um, up until recently, anyway, my understanding is you have to do a form of human physiotherapy before you can go on to animal mm -hmm. physiotherapy. Um, now, this is going back five years ago when I was lucky enough to work in a practice that had a physiotherapist. I think you now can go down solely the veterinary physiotherapy route. Um, but I think, I think the caveat when she explained it to me was she wasn't a vet. So to be able to become a physiotherapist, she had to do human physio and then specialize out into horses, dogs and cats was what she went into. But I think that's actually such a niche thing to have, to have the human side, because as you said, Nancy, they can appraise how you're carrying yourself. And we don't like as people, we don't carry ourselves the correct way. I mean, it depends on what our jobs are, daily routines. I know for some reason I stand more to my left side, like a, like a horse would rest a back leg, I guess. I will always rest my right leg. And that has an effect on how you're going to sit in the saddle too. And having that awareness makes a difference because sometimes we do need to be quite critical of our posture and we do need to continue to correct and hold ourselves up from the core as well, not to be like a sack of potatoes in the um, saddle. And another element to that too, which is just my personal opinion, but when watching riding school lessons with young kids, teaching them to trot before they actually have the strength to rise and sit, I just think that's a little bit pointless. Um, unless the kid is small and light enough and you can just do a sitting trot with them. But kids that are just bouncing about on the horse's back trying to learn to trot, I, I just think there isn't really that time and place anymore in training. 
Um, I think we can do that much better. And I think we've mentioned before, Nancy, using like uh, models, I guess, and getting beginner riders to learn using kind of like a dummy horse mm-hmm. to start off because leg strength comes with time. It's not something you naturally have when you start horse riding unless you do strength training on your legs. And I think we all need to improve our riding ability to lessen the kind of burden that we put on our horses. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I really do like the fact that a lot of the physiotherapy begins with human because in that program of schooling, you would learn how to re-educate positive movement patterns and subsequently strengthen muscle whether it's in a human body or a horse body. And, you know, they do that by, uh, I guess it would be building a capacity in the tissues and then using the gradual overload, like progressing intensity and complexity of the movement. And it would be really useful to learn that first in the human Mm -hmm. body and then transfer that to using it in the equine body, um, adapting for its movement and motion in the way it propels itself across the ground. It would be so helpful. I would even be interested in learning that from a human to horse perspective, because we're vertical, they're horizontal, and you just have to kind of flip that concept to be able to transfer it. And I think it's something that it would be great if there was, you know, short owner-based webinars, Mm -hmm. because in this paper, they do say, you know, a huge part of physiotherapy is following on with the aftercare. And across all of veterinary, that is an issue. We've talked about it before with antibiotics. And I'm sure we mentioned it when we were talking about the uveitis in the eyes, but owner compliance and follow-up is really important and actually being able to dedicate the time to do the exercises after to see an improvement. They mention as well in this, that behaviors in horses with back pain can be extreme, but also they can be very subtle. And even horses that have significant spinal pathologies um, may never display signs of pain. So if you are concerned um, and your horse maybe has a change in gait, not necessarily showing a sign of pain, it's worth having them assessed, but they do have a summary of equine ridden pain behaviors. And I think this is super useful. So if we can, we'll try and share that as well on the social media, but it breaks it down. So we've got the area, then the behavior descriptor. So for the body, it looks at the head and it says repeated changes of head position. So up and down, which we associate with lameness. Heads tilted or tilting repeatedly, head in front of the vertical, head behind the vertical, head position changes regularly, tossed or twisted, um, corrected constantly. So even just kind of like that idea of that irritation of them throwing their heads, um, we would sometimes call that napping. And you might think they're just resisting the bit and that could be part of the problem. But it could also be a sign that there is pain and they're trying to, um, I was going to say verbalize that, but that's definitely not the word. <laughs> well, but they're trying to show you, I guess. Convey. They're trying, you yes. know, that 
that type of positioning should convey to us that something's not right. Yeah. Yeah. And it goes through all the different ones. So we've got facial where it looks at ears, eyes and mouth. And we've definitely mentioned numerous times about the horse grimace scale and various pain scales for horses. If you haven't gotten around to looking at a pain scale, put that down as your one task for this week. Just Google a horse grimace scale or a horse pain scale and just look at the facial features on it. People who are used to working with horses are very adapt to picking these up. I mean, they'll spot that wrinkled nose and that pulls up lip a mile off. But if you're newer to horses, it's so useful. Um, even just for your overall health of your horse and picking up if there's any issues. It also goes on to talk about the tail. So tail tightly clamped down or held off to one side. So that's something that we're not going to think about when we ride our horses. And if you're schooling solo or you go trekking solo, you won't pick it up. But also, even if you have someone that is trekking behind you, they may not necessarily pick it up. And this is a great way you could use something like the coach's eye that app Nancy has talked about in the past and video your horse from behind and see, are they, once you're on their back, because it can be a different story when you're off them and walking them versus when you're sitting up. Yep. Yep. And you know, um, it, you can feel that too. You know, they always talk about rhythm um, and you want that constant, steady rhythm. If you're speeding up, slowing down and all that, you know, that kind of always tells me the first thing I do if that happens is check my saddle fit because some, sometimes even a saddle slipping, like say to the left, then you want to check that left hind limb, see if there's something off with it. So the gate gives you a lot of information and you, a video works wonders because you can slow that down and really look at it. And if you can, if you have access to Sands Arena, raking the sands and then, you know, trotting up the middle and taking a look at the actual um, spacing of the hooves, if they're going in a straight line, if they're, you know, their gait is off essentially where the hind limbs aren't following the tracks of the forelimbs, are they deviated left or right? It's it, a very simple thing you can do yourself to decide whether you need to get someone to come in and take a look and help. Um, remember that episode, Kate, we did, um, Sue Dyson, I think put it on for the World Horse Welfare Symposium. And it was on um, tacking up and how the way your horse is standing and the uh, grimace scale, the facial, mm -hmm. um, the whole body, you can tell if you're, you know, tacking up, it's a behavior or are they in pain? And that, I always remember that because I always kind of take an overall view of what my horse looks like while I'm tacking up. They should kind of be interested in what you're doing, not looking like um, bored or just sometimes even half closed eyes can mean they're not comfortable. They should be energized that you're going to use them and you're going to be riding them and reassess that 
webinar on World Horse Welfare because I thought that gave a lot of clues that are also re-mentioned here in this paper. Yeah, I think there is, I, I think we just get to a stage where we start to bring all of our knowledge together, mm -hmm. which is really quite nicely. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, you know, we should also consider this. And that's the great thing from reading a lot of these papers and listening to these episodes is we can draw on the expertise from multiple people. Yeah. I'm not sure actually they refer to a Dyson et al. in this paper. So I'm not sure if that's maybe Sue's work. Yeah, um, they said that the um, all the behavior ethogram in this paper, they gave credit to Dyson et al. 2018. And that was that uh, World Horse Welfare. And that, I guess, is when she had that paper published. But um, Sue Dyson is a wonderful resource when it comes to tack fit, saddle fit, and just overall reading if your horse is in pain or not. Um, the one thing that this paper really, I thought, did well is the photos of the horses in back pain. And the one picture, you think the horse is standing okay. I mean, it's standing square. It's not camped under or, um, you know, leaning back like it might may be in pain. But you can really see the atrophy of that, uh, the paxial muscles along each side. And they did say most back pain comes from the spinous processes and they're um, riding close to one another. So that would mm -hmm. be like kissing spine. And, you know, that is really, really um, a tough thing to work with. And uh, next week, we're going to be giving the exercises that they use for that because they said some horses are more sensitive to it than others. Others may have it, but you would never know it because they they have learned how to cope with that or compensate. So that's one thing this kind of opened my eyes to is that sway back look. Um, sometimes we think that's okay for an older horse, but it's probably because of um, arthritic changes and they're a little back sore with age. And I think definitely when I was younger, we would have seen that kind of sway back, particularly in ridden brood mares. Mm -hmm. So mares yeah. that were uh, being bred, you know, quite a bit over the years, not excessively. Um, but when they would have an off-season, they were being ridden as well. And we would definitely see more of that dipped back in them. And back then, we just kind of thought it was normal because they were older mares that have multiple pregnancies. But it's something that is a clear sign that there's a weakening there. And it can even be with the muscles. But that was interesting to me as well, Nancy, because overdevelopment of muscle can be assigned too. So the body is going to try and compensate the best way it can. And in both those horses, when you just look at them as an untrained person, you know, I'm not a physiotherapist um, or a vet. So looking at those two horses, as Nancy said, they look like they're standing quite nicely. You wouldn't necessarily have thought there was an issue. Maybe one of them has its head a little bit high. Um, but then you don't know what arousal there is when that picture is being taken. So I think it is, it's very hard to really 
judge without having that expertise. And that's the importance of having a physiotherapist in there. And you can always get your vet as the first protocol. And the important thing is as well, a really good or any accredited physiotherapist, they tell you exactly when a vet needs to get involved. Because yeah. a vet may need to prescribe something or, you know, a procedure may need to be carried out. So they're not going to promise you um, kind of the moon and stars. That's when you need to be wary of someone that's like, no, no, that's, you know, that's nothing. I can fix that. And if it's something minor, that's fine. But definitely this opens my eyes to how many people can be involved. And having worked in veterinary, you know how many people are in the back of a veterinary practice to just manage to get through one surgery, the team that we require, but the team of people that could potentially be involved in the treatment and rehab of a horse with back pain is astronomical. There's the vet, the vet physiotherapist, the farrier, the veterinary nurse, the saddler, the equestrian coach, the loriner, the rider's own strength and conditioning, um, which that could be a coach that the rider has, the co- or the rider may be going to their own physiotherapist. You might also have an equine nutritionist, the rider's nutritionist, equine hydrotherapist, performance and analysis, yard staff, equine dentist, and then the rider and owner themselves. And I think it's quite nice that the rider slash owners brought into it quite a bit because I think we are more aware now of the impact we have. It's not simply good enough to say, we'll strengthen the horse's back and then put an um, unsuitable load on that back. Mm -hmm. So if we have horses that have chronic back problems, we may need to determine, you know, they're probably not suitable for being in riding schools. If they are in a riding school, they may only be suitable to be ridden by that one person or if their owner comes and rides them at that school. Um, But, if their owner is not suitable, you know, we need to put ourselves aside because this really does become a welfare issue very quickly. And I think it's unfair, particularly with back pain in horses, to try and put them through doing tasks and doing riding lessons. And they're not comfortable throughout or even when we get to a stage of comfortable, they're not enjoying it. And we've talked about that before, you know, finding the work your horse enjoys. And Nancy was saying about how you use your pony and um, you do, oh, what do you call, what's the word when she pulls the carriage? Oh, driving. Driving. Thank you. (laughs) I don't know what's happened with us and our words this evening, but I feel like they're just getting lost. Well, they know we're not perfect, but yeah. especially me you're you're a professional lecturer you really are smooth your words but um the one thing is that when these veterinary veterinary physiotherapists do their assessment they always start off with a thorough history and i'll tell a story i had a young horse that we were putting in the breaking and training at the farm that um i trained for and uh, the horse had a head tilt and we kept wondering what is going on this is a late yearling and already with a head tilt well I had to go to the owner and get a history on you know what has happened to this horse up to this point and come to find out as a 
um, I guess it would have been yearling year in January, the horse reared up and hit its head on a beam. And, um, you know, we figured there was probably some damage done when that horse did do that. So then we were able to get a um, veterinarian out there to give, you know, therapy to the horse and to help us get the horse through the training. And I tell you what, it was quite involved because we came up with a training regimen that we thought would work with the imbalance the horse had. And you know what, he went on to race and had a good career and um, is currently retired because that was like 20 years ago, but he made it through. But it was intense and it was uh, not a quick fix. So always make sure if you have a veterinary team out, make sure your physiotherapist knows that thorough history so they can use the exercise part of it as a prescription and give it to you to, you know, utilize and to put the horse through that. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week is the uh, modalities you can use in physical therapy to help get your horse through these injuries and these soreness issues. I think that's a great point to end on. Um, And I segue into next week. So we'll go into a little bit more detail and some practical things that we can do. That sounds great. Thanks, Kate. This was a good paper. And um, we'll go ahead and reconnect and continue this next week. Brilliant. Thanks, everyone. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.